This podcast is dedicated to the proposition that every Christian should be a constant and devoted reader of the Bible, and that the primary business of the church and its ministry is to lead, foster, and encourage people in this life-changing habit. Guys, this is week number two, reading Colossians, and we've been going through it uh, for, well, last week we went through it seven times. This week again, seven times, so only four chapters, but definitely a lot jam-packed in four chapters. So, anything stand out to anybody as we've been reading it? In this whole part, which is basically Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11, but more specifically, I'm just going to start at 9. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. That part really stood out to me because of the idea of baptism, what that is symbolic of, because of the idea that we are born into iniquity or sin, that we are not created by God, so to speak. We were the son of Adam and Eve. So we have that inherent deceitful, wicked heart. We're predisposed to that type of immorality, if you will. And more specifically in regards to this, it says being renewed. We're being renewed, right? So that new self that we have from baptism, when we're born again, when we are putting on these new robes, so to speak, where Jesus has paid the the toll or the fine for our, he's taken the, the brunt of the punishment for us so that we are now free. With the sunsets free is free indeed. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So we have this new self where we're clean and we've been born again in, in the spirit because of Jesus, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. So knowledge, right? We're getting to know who Jesus is, who the character of God is. So it's our pursuit of that knowledge through scripture, which keeps us refreshing constantly, reminded to let those things go. So if we are not in the word, then we are truly not constantly renewing that because how easily can we be distracted and forget who God is, right? Look at any time you have a shortcoming, any kind of spiritual failure being said, your focus wasn't on God. It wasn't on Jesus. It wasn't on scripture. It wasn't on the Holy Spirit. And you had a momentary lapse where you were not focused on that. Judah, the way you talk about repentance, chart away from the sin and turn back towards God. And I think this very much on that line is easily overlooked. That knowledge of God, and specifically the image of God that the scriptures give us. Now, that's the first part. This is kind of a long rant, so bear with me here, right? The second part goes back to Adam and Eve, their sin. And just think about that, how Jesus was the second Adam. He is humanity the way God intended, to live by the moral law, so to speak, to love people unconditionally. He gave the sermon with the centurion, and he says, the centurion has more faith than all of you, right? Perfect example. In that culture, that centurion would have been a pagan. And not just that, he was a military man, meaning he probably put people to the sword. He That's probably that. whipped people that were insubordinate, and, so to speak. Crucifixions. Yeah, yeah. He was probably a brutal Roman. And I can only assume that, which adds more weight to that idea of Jesus just unconditionally loving everybody. That's the part that really jumped out at me today. When I, was... I think as Judah had said it too, it's we have an unlimited capacity of self-deception. Man, like you can really talk yourself into really big hole if you're not digging in God's word and not turning from your sin. If you were able to put yourself into this deep hole that you should be able to take yourself out, but then that's where Jesus's love comes in and just really rescues you from that sin that so easily entangled you. My point specifically, though, is that we are made in Genesis. It says Adam was created in the image of God. So to speak, he should have been living the life that Jesus led, but he didn't. He disobeyed God. He lost his faith in God momentarily. I brought this up before. Is the disobedience in your life or the sin in your life a reflection of 
the fact that you don't know God well enough. Because if you truly knew God well enough, you would trust him completely, which means you would be totally obedient. There's there's a correlation between the three of those things, faith, your knowledge, and your obedience to God. When I read that, it just put me on a whole other level of, man, yeah. I don't know the image of God well enough, even though Jesus is the image of God. He literally drew it out for us. That's interesting. This passage, like everything else in what we've been reading, not only in Colossians, but elsewhere too, chapter 3, verse 1, actually through 21. But just going back to what you said, John, first thing I got out of that, and it's funny that you brought up that because I was thinking about 10, just 10 specifically. Put on your new nature, my book says, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And Paul uses this imagery in, throughout his letters. And one of the pieces of imagery is clothing. And to me, you'd mentioned baptism, and I exacted that out of there, too. I said, we're talking about baptism here. A whole new life. Clothing to Paul symbolizes a new, renewed humanity. Not what we were before. Totally different. And then what you were just saying, I'm thinking about the whole passage, chapter 3, verse 1 through 21, where we're talking about putting off vices and clothing oneself in virtue. And you just ask yourself about God, you know, what am I doing here? Am I putting myself into God or however you put it, John? I got this quote here. Take an honest look at the real you and in what areas of your life is there need for change? If you read this, at least the way I read it, I'm thinking, all right, if I look at myself and I really do an honest assessment, there's a lot of room for change. If I'm supposed to do everything that Paul is saying here, which is beautiful. I won't go through it all because we've all read it a number of times now. Well, you know, a cross-reference to part of that is Romans 12, 2 and 3, which says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you'll know, learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So it kind of comes back to that, allowing God to change us. But it starts with changing the way that we think and it transforms our lives. How does our life get transformed? How does our thinking get transformed? It gets transformed, you know, very much the same as if you have a glass of gasoline or something. Nobody's gonna take a swig out of that, but if you pour water into it, eventually it's gonna displace the gasoline and you keep pouring enough water into it. At some point, you get to the point where there's no more gasoline. You could take that and you could drink it because now it's transformed what the contents of it. And it's the same thing with God's word. The more of God's word we get in our life, the more our thinking becomes transformed, the more our lives become transformed, the more now we begin to act in a way that Jesus acts. Now we begin to live the life of a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, not just simply as an Americanized Christian or whatever else. We start living the life of a follower of Jesus. But it begins with that transformation. It begins with that renewing of the mind. It begins with that accepting the new life that Christ has given us. Chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. My book says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. This is us, ordinary Christian lives. Ordinary Christian lives exhibiting integrity in our actions and our speech, that's the evidence for the truth of the faith. Just ordinary Christian life. That's what Paul was saying to the folks back then in Colossians, and that's what he's saying to us. We are ordinary Christians, and if we live our lives with integrity in everything we do, in our actions and in our speech, then we will be evidence. We will be proof for the truth of the faith. Are we living wisely among those who are not believers? 
are we living wisely or are we not? Are we making the most of every opportunity? That's a question that I think is worth asking ourselves. We go about our day-to-day -day life living this world. We're around people that are far from God. Are we living wisely that gives us the opportunity to speak into their life? Or what somebody looks at says, wow, I like the idea of Jesus, but I certainly don't want to be like you. <laughs> you know? And unfortunately, that's the way this world has become. It has, and I'm thinking of that, and that's why I had pointed out those two lines for myself. That's a great question, Judah. And I'm not making the most of every opportunity. There's times that I do, and there's times that I don't. And I think back on my day, every day, every morning, I say, okay, what did I do yesterday? And I try to go through some of it, and I go, all right, I blew that. I missed this opportunity to do the right thing or to share or to exhibit, as I say. I write these things out mainly for myself, thinking, okay, did my actions and speech demonstrate my faith? Not always. No. Not always, folks. <laughs> and not always. So I'm going to tell you right now, not always. It's easy to default back. You know, before you are actually truly born again in the spirit, easy to revert back to you because your daily interactions with everyone else who might not be a believer, they're not living wisely as well and making the most of every opportunity. So they may rub you the wrong way. They may present a challenge for you and provoke you in a way that you might not have been prepared for. You weren't thinking, oh man, am I going to be provoked today by some random interaction? I better be prepared for that. Yeah. And then something happens and instinctually our hearts are wicked and sinful that we think, I'm not going to let somebody get away with talking to me like that. I'm going to have some, exactly. some self-respect here. I'm going to create a healthy boundary. But really, Rough humility, right? And really, really humility <laughs> that Christ has taught us. Yes, yeah. out the window. Yeah, and you've said that before, but I ask myself every time you say that, but how weak am I then? Yeah, exactly. How, how weak am I? Me too. Guess what? That's why we need to see. We're so fragile. <laughs> That's why we need Jesus, because yeah. we are not complete without him. I revert back on a whim just like that. It's frustrating to me that I'm that weak. Well, Colossians 3, 13, make allowance for each other's fault and forgive anyone who offends you. <laughs> Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. That's literally what we're talking about right now. I've definitely seen people clothe themselves to dress the part of being a Christian. And then I've met people that you wouldn't think they're a Christian, but man, they are radically transformed and love Jesus and they're walking it, they're talking it. And I've had some bad examples of what it looks like to be a Christian and what it, what it is to be a Christian, to actually have a relationship with Jesus. And as far as like what we we're just talking about, like being weak, man, how fast are we forgiving? Judah was just preaching about that, turning the other cheek. How fast are we to turn the other cheek? You know what I mean? Is it like a slap battle? Not that it needs to be. At some point, yes, I think that you do have to put your foot down. I, I definitely think that we should do that at some point. If they're like slapping you for an hour, I mean, <laughs> all right, put your foot down. <laughs> I mean, Judah was uh, supposed to be very happy with me the other day when I, I was able to demonstrate slap. <laughs> I definitely think that we need to examine ourselves first. It's our own heart. It's a heart issue that we have first. And then once we grasp what it means to put on that full armor of Jesus, clothe ourselves with love, then we can, we're living it. We're going to, we're going to live it. We're going to demonstrate it. Everywhere we go, people are going to see it. Will I be able to pass somebody and they'll be like, oh, wow, that person's different. We've studied that and rediscovered Jesus book. Yeah, if I were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? And yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. You know, in Colossians 1, this is changes gears just a little bit. Verse 21, it says, this includes you who are once far from God. You are his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions kind of showing a requirement to be God's enemy is to be separated by having evil thoughts and actions, which all of us have done, all of us have sinned, 
all of us fall short of God's standard. Now we are all, at one point in time, enemies of God. But yet, verse 22 says, Yet now he has reconciled, or has made us right, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And just that whole idea that we could go from being an enemy of God because of all the evil things that we've done, and by the sacrifice of Jesus, now in God's eyes, we're perfect. So I, mean, I grew up in the church. I had a hard time at grasping because we focus a lot on sin avoidance, and we focus a lot on behavior modification. We focus a lot on what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And here it's saying, though, in God's eyes, not only are you okay, not only are you like, like us to have kids, it's like, well, I love you, but I still know you've got issues, right? And God's saying, no, I see you as innocent, as perfect. It's kind of overwhelming. I certainly know that I'm not. And I can be like, well, you got the wrong guy here. I'm clearly not. I can't stand before you holy and blameless without a single fault. And he's like, what fault? Like there was a story I read recently and it was kind of an interesting story. This woman and every week she'd come to church and say how, how she would talk to Jesus and Jesus would talk back to her. And so like this pastor, you know, as, as many of us can be, was very skeptical of this woman. Like, oh yeah, I was talking to Jesus and he was telling me this and telling him the bathroom. It's like, okay, look, if you're talking to Jesus, I want you to ask him what sin I committed in college. And then you come back and let me know. We'll, we'll just kind of like do a little test here. So she goes back the next week. He's like, so did you pray and ask Jesus? Oh yeah, I did. He's like, so what did he say my sin? Well, she says he couldn't remember. Okay. That, that is good. I mean, <laughs> and that's how God looks at each of us. Wow. What sin? I don't remember. Says he's separated as wow. far as the east is from the west. He's buried it out there. He's like, that's huge. Oh, no, no. Oh, you mean Jesus? He's the one with all the sin on him, right? Because he took all the sin on himself, died on the cross. But when he looks at us, he sees the spotless. All right, so the Bible study is over. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that is good, man. Maybe a handful of times I was able to really feel like what it was like to be forgiven completely of all my sin. And I have to remember those times where I actually felt free from my sin. And I just couldn't stop crying because, like, I just felt an overwhelming sensation of God's love for me. Like, wow, like, really? Unworthy. Yeah, so unworthy. And just bawling my eyes out because I'm like, you love me. Enough for me to just be stripped from all of that? All of it? Really? I know that we all have dark issues. <laughs> Who doesn't? Doesn't matter. Man, woman, dog, kid, doesn't matter. We all have dark, dark sin. And to be forgiven from that. And what you just said, Judah, he doesn't remember. That is huge for me. Like, like, I love church and I love worshiping in church and singing, raising my hands, bowing down and having like spiritual moments in church. But I have the most profound spiritual experiences, usually late at night while I'm by myself in the word. I prostrate completely down as low as I can. And I'm literally crying for that same feeling of, I don't understand how I could be allowed forgiveness. I don't know how I deserve it. It's literally one of the greatest mysteries ever is, sure, how could God do this for, for everybody? The worst person you know. God made a way for them to be atoned. Everyone loves the idea of a loving God who doesn't care what we do. He's going to love us regardless. That when everybody dies, they all go to the good place, right? And everyone yeah. loves that right. idea. Yeah. But also everyone loves the idea of justice, where if you're wrong, if someone breaks in your house and robs your house, you want that person to be caught and brought to justice. Of course. But you can't have one without the other, right? So you've got to picture it like this. We need to be forgiven. So how merciful is God that he gives us enough time? Like it says right here in the beginning of Colossians that Judah mentioned. 
that he gives us enough time to seek him out and gives us enough evidence to make us question our existence here on earth, right? And what this is all about when we stare out into the stars or the deepest, darkest depths of the ocean or even the mystery of consciousness. Like, like how am I self-aware, you know? And you start to probe these deeper philosophical ideas and they all point to the great mystery of, of God and this creation. And he makes this avenue where you can go and you can learn and be a complete and utter sinner and not embrace the gift of salvation, the gift of grace from Jesus. But he, he makes the path straight for you to follow if you want to follow it. Yeah. He takes the jungle, he pushes everything aside and says, it's a narrow path with a narrow entrance, but it's right here if you want it. And all you have to do is walk down it and, and be open-minded. But many people don't like the idea of a just God who is there to administer a punishment for those that are deserving of this punishment, right? That's going to close you know, people's minds to walk into a church. I don't want to be judged for this. Right on. Right. I just want to hear this positive message that God is love and God is patience and he's wisdom and he's forgiveness. But they don't ever want to talk about how he's a just God. Right. Because that's when it gets scary. But what did we learn about Proverbs? We learned that none of us, none of, we're all grown men in this room, right? With decades of experience, none of us are wise, right? That's what it shows us. Dave laughs. <laughs> none of us are wise. But who is wise? Jesus, right? It's the same thing. What do we learn from any, any of the wisdom literature? What do we learn from the Torah, right? From the law? That we are grotesque and deserving of this punishment. That we are wicked, essentially. Yeah. Nobody wants to be punished. But fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you actually recognize the almighty power of the creator who, with his words, created light. The photon particles, right? The speed of light. With his words, created all the planets, all the galaxies, everything. Actual life, actual consciousness. He can. So this all-powerful being gives righteous retribution for evil which we all deserve that punishment think about that are we actually afraid be it reverence or be it fear be it one of those preachers who's fire and brimstone or one of those preachers like it's a kind of the way you would fear your father you know what i mean do we actually fear god you know who who saw jesus which prophet saw him where his tongue came out as a sword and his eyes were glowing was that john the revelator yeah or any other person who was trembling in the sight of an angel because of the fear of that. Right. You see what I mean? So I think that there's the healthy fear where you fear your, your parents, but then there's also, or, or fear of getting in trouble like you're speeding. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But then I think there's also the idea that there is justice. Right. You know? So there's something I want to touch off. That's so cool that with science, God even gave us something to do. That there's a project. Figure this stuff. Lord, <laughs> who figure it out? You know, good job, you little slugger. I <laughs> talk to uh, to friends who are engineers or you know, electronics or like you know more smart. Just say you know, yeah, nerd, <laughs> nerdy people, and they've you know had different problems that they've come in contact with. You know, for whatever reason, even at church when we have like a tech problem, and, and I'll always you know, ask the tech team or I'll or ask you know the engineer whoever I'm like, have you prayed about the problem? And Oftentimes the answer is no. Like, well, no, it's like, yeah, this is my job this is what I do. But you get to pray to the God who created physics. The engineering mind that you think that you have pales in comparison to the <laughs> mind of God. Yeah. So <laughs> you think that what you're doing is so deeply <laughs> intricate that you're going to baffle God? It's like, no, pray and ask God for wisdom. Like whatever you're doing, however complex it is, 
That's like God coloring with crayons. You know, I mean, yeah. you can't take your time and pray and ask God, how do I do whatever it is that or a doctor or a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist? God's got the answer. Just take that moment and ask him for it, and he will give you the wisdom for it. It goes, it goes back to that, you know, we don't know God as well as we should because we're not reading enough of the word. Because if you did, that would be your first thing would be to go to prayer. Right. Like I've heard you say before, it's the lance of prayer or whatever. But right. You know, it's, it's our it's our one of our only weapons. But just think about there is a client manager at my tattoo shop answers the phones and books the appointments and does most of the cleaning her office is across from my room so she has to listen to my loud mouth and share the gospel every time i have someone locked in my room yeah a few times over the past couple of years she has asked me questions about god and she's hit me with, well, she's like, you know, what about this? What about that? I usually have an answer to give her, or at least can, in front of her, look it up and show her type of an answer. I consider this a miracle. She came to me last week and she said to me, she goes, Johnny, I woke up with the urge to pray today. And I just want to know, can you pray for me? I said, I'll do you one better. I said, I'll pray with you. If you had the urge to pray, let's right. see that through to the end. And she goes, I don't know how, like, what do I do? I said, I would just start like this. And I would just say, Heavenly Father. And I went through the prayer that I said, you know, thank you for, and I said, give thanks. And I said, you know, well, now what are we praying for? Right on the spot, in the middle of this prayer, I put her on the spot. And she's like, well, you know, I'm having some health issues and I'm really concerned this and that. I said, you know, so we're just going to pray for your health and pray for your finances and hope that everything comes together. And she was like, thank you. Like, I actually feel better. And that's not the kicker. The kicker is this. About two, two and a half hours later, she gets a phone call. that she's been having some type of reoccurring issue inside of her body with her I think it was like her liver or her kidneys. And she went to go see a specialist and they went to give her a medication. Now, even with her insurance, the copay would have been something like $2,300. Oh, wow. She gets a phone call from the pharmacist and he says, you know, this is the strangest thing that's ever happened. He goes, not only does this like never happen, but your medication is completely and fully paid for. Mm -hmm. And like your insurance provider doesn't even cover the copay. But for whatever reason, now you're covered. So she gets off the phone, busts into my room. He's like, you level and your eyes are all water. She's like, you won't believe this. She's like, it worked. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just looking at her like, yeah, duh. You know what I mean? Of course. And I said, right. I said, that's cool. See, I know that this kind of thing works. And that's why I'm like, you think me and Chad, I think Chad is a very successful business person. You know, I'm a successful, I'm like, do you think that wise, successful business people, which obviously we're not wise, but I'm telling this to her, are fools? Like, why would we believe in this if there wasn't something to it? Right. Or if there wasn't everything to it? And also, I'm telling her like, I'm so excited. I'm happy that you're excited, but I'm not excited because I knew this was going to happen. So right. some magnitude, right? Now I said, this is a sign from God because you're at the point in your walk or where you needed something like this to show you the importance of prayer or to show you he's revealing himself to you. Right. And it's beautiful, you know? So I've been having her share, like Kevin Butterfield fame and he didn't be got a piece for me. And I was like, you know, tell Kevin what happened. Yeah. And I know. And it's just funny to hear her retell the story. You know, like, awesome. It's part of her testimony now. So. Yeah. It's like a childlike innocence that she has. It is beautiful because she, I don't want to say like pagan, but she's of the world for sure. Yeah. She's turning goddess beginning to work in her life like that. So yeah. I see. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so like Yeah. It's, it's, it's a beautiful story. And you mentioned prayer. You told her, you know, it's maybe this is the time in your life that, you know, it shows that you, you need to pray. And then I'll bring it right back to Colossians. That's what Paul talks about all the time in Colossians. You look at chapter one. Let's just take verse 11. Just the first part, he says, We also pray that you will be strengthened in all this glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Pray. That's at the beginning. That's chapter one. Then 
go to the end, the last chapter, chapter 4, verse 12. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. And then he says, remember my chains. What is Paul asking there? I don't know if you folks looked at that and what you think of it, but I'm thinking about Paul saying, I'm asking for your prayers now. Remember my change. So he starts with prayer and he ends with prayer. And he made me think of it, John, as you're telling that beautiful, that poignant story about your coworker. Remember my change. But also, I started thinking about this and talked with Judah before about Voice for the Martyrs. And I read the magazine and I want to listen to their podcast or video, whatever it is. And Paul is asking here, remember my chains. He's in prison. And then I ask myself, and, and I throw this out to all of you, do we pray for prisoners of conscience throughout the world? We do in that because we all know that bringing up Voice of the Martyrs there and beyond that, religious persecution still exists. We're able to, as we pointed this out before, we're able to sit here, people walking by, not coming in, bursting in on us and saying, Break this religious meeting up here. We can do that freely. But there's religious persecution going on. Paul was being persecuted. Remember my chains. So I ask each of you, and I wrote this down, how can we work together as a church to increase religious freedom and tolerance? Can't forget that. We have to remember that. You, you ask John a lot, how do we apply this to ourselves? Well, there, how do we do this? And, you know, a little rabbit trail off of that. I just think it's interesting that because if you pop up to Colossians 4, 2, again, talking about prayer, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Now, so again, he's asking for prayer. Here's the question. It's kind of a trick question. What did he not ask for prayer for? Settle. He didn't ask for freedom. I was going to say, pray don't need him. He said, I'm in chains. What would I be asking yeah. for? Pray that I get out of this. I want to get out of here. Right. 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 Yeah. right. And but what does he ask for prayer for? And to pray that I can proclaim this message as clearly as I should. That's what he's focused on as other people. And we know historically, who is he proclaiming this message to oftentimes? Jailers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like the people that were there holding them in prison. So he's not saying, Hey guys, you know what? Get me out of here. Send me a cake with a file in it. I, I got to bust this joint or whatever. He said, no, pray that I have boldness. Pray that I have opportunities. And that's why I'm here in chains because I've been doing this. I just want more opportunities. And if me being in prison enables me to have more opportunities, then so be it. Yeah, and it doubles back on the be wise and take every opportunity. He's taking every opportunity. And in scripture, I'm not sure where, but it says pray boldly. You know, think about that. How often do we pray for ourselves or for our children? Or for, and like, we're living in a first world country. We have total religious freedom, right? We can choose whatever political nonsense we want to choose, right? We have the right to carry, we have all these rights, right? With all these freedoms, but who are we praying for, right? We're not praying for, what is it? What's, what's the voice of the martyrs? Voice of the martyrs. You know, we're not praying for people that need to hear the gospel. I caught myself with a client just last. I said, have you ever heard the gospel? She said, yeah, I grew up in a, a Pentecostal church. Maybe think of Lenny. She's like, you know, the women had to wear skirts. She said only to find out that growing up there that the pastor ended up having an affair with multiple women there or something like that. So she's like, so I'm kind of all done. I'm like, do you know the gospel, though? Right. <laughs> right. right. And, and I was like, that's not what I asked. It was like being struck by the Holy Spirit. I, it, somehow it just came out, and I was able to give her creation, atonement, what Jesus did on the cross. I was able to give her the good news. After she left that, I was just like, thank you. like Because I couldn't have done that. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you get the gospel into five minutes? I did it somehow. Right. <laughs> I love how Paul describes 
the people he 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 called them this forward. It's not my fellow prisoners. It's not the guys in the clank with me. <laughs> it's a co-work. Yeah. That is, this is my job. Yep. I might be wearing these chains and I'm stuck in this place. This smells horrible, but I, this is my job. I'll work today. <laughs> was okay. Timothy in, in jail with him? Do we know that? Was he in chains? Was Didn't Timothy call right some of these? Yeah, or did he send us the Timothy? I thought he sent it to Timothy. Uh, well, oftentimes what they would allow, depending on, I don't know where he was actually in prison at, at this point, if he's in prison in Rome. I'm guessing he probably is. Um, but when he was in prison in Rome, he was essentially under like a house arrest. They had him in a small dwelling that he was there under guard by Roman soldiers. However, they would allow people to come and visit him, him, hang out with him and take care of his needs and feed him and do all these things. So he had some liberties. He wasn't free to come and go as he wanted, but he was able to have people come to him and they would take care of him. He had these people... Timothy and these Anesimus and all these guys that would come along, they would come and they would bring gifts from the churches and they would come and take care of him for a period of time and then they would go. Just to note on his, you all may know this term, but maybe you've not heard of it. It's called amanuensis. Okay. And amanuensis is what Timothy was in English. It's a scribe. That's what they call it back then, an amanuensis. So Timothy was a scribe and he did, as Judas said, he would have been with Paul and he would have been writing down what Paul was saying. He was his personal scribe. You do the research, you can see and glean from there that he was, again, amanuensis is the term, but we call it a scribe. He would have been writing that down, even though, you know, Paul says this was me, but Timothy was his writer, his ghost writer, so to speak. Yeah. Man. John, what you were just saying about coming up with the words that you needed to for that person just said, it made me think of what Judah just said, you know, saying, going down rabbit hole, that 4-4. Four, four. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Let me tweak your logic there for a minute. Because it's easy to say it wasn't me. But the reality is it's a partnership. It is you and it is the Holy Spirit. You have to allow it. And the reason why I say that is because there's enough people that jack things up all the time. And they could be like, well, that wasn't me either. No, that was you. So we have to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through us. We have to be able to allow the words to come out and be able to formulate thoughts and opinions. Now, could we do it on our own? No, absolutely not. It's that partnership with the Holy Spirit that allows, and this is where if we hide God's word in our heart, right? Because what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit reminds us of God's word, usually, and that's how he speaks to us and through us is through God's word. So he brings scriptures into our memory. But how can he bring a scripture into our memory if it's not there, right? If we're not putting the time and the energy and effort studying God's word, so there's the raw material for the Holy Spirit to actually tell up and say, here's what you need to share. Right. Here's the verse you need to come across. Here's the anecdote. Here's the piece of my gospel that you need to share. So we have to have like the raw materials there and allow the Holy Spirit then now becomes a partnership with him to be able to do that. And there needs to be obedience too. Well, like, yeah, I mean, absolutely. you could listen to the Holy Spirit, but then just be like, no. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I know it impacted her because she began to cry. She didn't, she wasn't sobbing, but her eyes rolled up and, you know, she shed a tear. So I know that the message of being loved unconditionally by her real father and sending someone to take up all of her pain, all of her sickness, all of her disease, you know, absorb it from her if she would just let it go. You know, and she's someone that battles addiction. You know, she has an alcohol problem. There's a list of them. I'm not going to go through all, but she's definitely having a lot of challenges on a day-to-day basis. You know, so I knew it impacted her. And from my profession, that's always the kind of work that I want to be putting out is I always want to have something that creates an emotional, elicits an emotional response. Sure. Because that's that's what makes your work 
memorable to people right that it affects them right whether it's filmmaking writing art well they'll never forget exactly so it's always going to say it so and that's how i know it was the holy spirit because it just came out she got it she felt it and then that's enough and i, I just left it alone after yeah. that you're right on it john and for me in reading these letters that we've been reading from paul one of the overarching things and he does have a number of things but one of the overarching things is prayer is praying and as you said with your co-worker the office manager there you prayed, you showed her, you know, she prayed and God responded. But I'd have her read Colossians or any one of these letters to see how Paul says that pray, pray, pray. This is one of the overarching themes. And not just wait till you get in that foxhole or in danger. And I know you've brought it up many times, you didn't. I blow this a lot of times where I pray after the fact. Instead of from the outset and saying, Lord, bless this venture, or help me in this, or whatever it is, I do it after the fact. After I'm in too deep, or after I'm in deep enough, I say, oh yeah, I forgot to pray about this. Paul tells us all the time, pray. Had discipleship reminders. We're all disciples. Colossians 2, verse 2, says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this comes back to what we're talking about, is wisdom and knowledge. And say, in Christ lies all of this. And he goes on and he's talking kind of false theology and things like this, skipping to verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you're taught and you'll overflow with thankfulness. And I just love that visual image of our roots growing down into him. Because what is the purpose of roots growing down deeply into the soil? They're looking for nutrients or looking right. for water. They're looking for what they need to stay alive. Yeah. To stay upright. So they don't get and so they're being drawn to that. What else do roots do? They provide strength in times of storms, right? The deeper your roots go down, it's like that holds onto the ground. This is why you go in a palm tree, for example has this taproot that goes down. Some some of them, I heard they've even gone as deep as almost like a half a mile down. Like some of these things would just go. What are they looking for? They're looking for water, nutrients. But then you see these videos or in real life of like a hurricane coming through and that palm tree is whipping all around. But what's happened is not being uprooted because the root goes down deep. A good friend of mine, a couple of years back, planted palm trees at his home and Shortly thereafter, a hurricane came through and wiped out all the palm trees. So they weren't swaying in the wind as some would. Why? Because the roots did not go down deep yet. They were just newly planted. Give them another five, 10 years, and those roots are going to go down deep. And it may rip to shreds all the palm branches and everything, but it's going to stand firm. And so us, what are we letting our roots go down deep in? All of us have roots going down into something, right? Right. You know, but right. what are they going down deep into are they going down deep into god's word is it going down deep into netflix is it going down deep into the whatever are our roots going down deep because that's where the true nutrients come from is from being hidden in god's word like that you're talking about co-worker she was asking you like she doesn't know how to pray i don't think there's really like wool there's best practices i always think as long as it's well how do you talk to a friend yeah describe how to talk to a friend well, you say hello. <laughs> it has to become conversational. I think that's where it starts. I mean, sure, there's the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, however you 
look at it and things that are models for it. I believe God loves the cry of our soul. We're crying out to him without all the these and the thous and the religious banter that we so often embed into our prayers to make them seem impressive. I mean, you think God is ever impressed with any prayer that we've ever prayed? <laughs> like God's like, man, that was good. Yeah, I'm answering that one. This is my favorite part. Jesus even said that. Is it God's not going to answer your prayer because you went on and used all this flowery words, the Pharisee and the tax collector, or he talks about people that pray so they could be seen by men and all these things. You're praying to be seen by people. That's all the reward you're going to get. It says the scripture too that God knows what we're going to ask for before we even ask for that. And I took my daughters to the bookstore with my wife and one of my daughters, she's a prolific artist fills up sketchbooks like crazy she did a sketchbook and i saw her looking at them and she's looking and she's touching the paper to feel the tooth how smooth it is for her markers or whatever and she's seen if it's the kind you could tear out so she can put it in a frame and she didn't have enough money to get any of them but she started looking at the prices so i knew what she was gonna have to ask over she was too afraid to ask me but it brought me joy that she was she didn't want to ask she thought like i'm not gonna ask them for money i just said is this the one you want i said why don't you see this one this one's better it's like more what you want you're going to buy this for me? Same thing with prayer. God knows what we're going to ask for. Right. It brings joy to him that we're coming to him with what it is that we want. I can speak as a father, like Abba yeah. Niels. So imagine what it feels like for him. Yeah. And, and even take that to another level. Obviously, in that case, she was maybe a little nervous. Let's just say she mustered the nerves to ask you. You already see this going on. Dad, can I borrow $5 to get this? I'll one-up you. I'll pay for it, you know, or whatever the case yeah, may yeah. be. If that gives a parent joy, how much more does this give God joy when we come to him? Like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think there's necessarily rules for prayer, but I do know there was that Francis Chan video that just sticks in my heart, which is where he talks about in James 1, if you doubt, God doesn't want to hear prayers. James 4, that if you pray with the wrong motivations, God isn't going to hear your prayer, that if you don't care for the poor, I forget which scripture is in for the care for the poor, or if you don't love your wife or your spouse. So there are things that God like, no. She'll have block our prayers. Yeah, exactly. But, but that's also for Christians. That's also for followers of Christ. Yeah. For somebody that's not following Christ, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, just call out to God. But also somewhere in scripture, it says too that like the cries and suffering of people is like prayers to God. He does hear that. You could picture the Israelites when they were in captivity and bondage in Egypt. Dressed them, he says, I've heard your cries. He says, I, I've heard them. You know, so he definitely hears. It wasn't until I started to really seek God first. Then he started to answer prayers that, that I needed, things that I didn't even think I needed, because um, I definitely had a lot. Still do sometimes have selfish prayer. What is your motives, you know, when you're praying? Are you first person? First and then like, well, It's like, is it our, our relationship literally as simple as he loves me, he loves me not? Are we seeking God first or we need more money? Oh, well, I love you, God, but hey, I need this. Well, hey, I love you, God, but oh, well, I need this. Are our roots growing deep? Yeah, Craig Rochelle has often said, you know, if God answered all of your prayers today, what will be different in the world? Just that whole idea of what will be different if God said, okay, whatever you prayed for last week, I'm answering it right now as a yes. Would it just be things like about me, myself, my family, our health, these things? Or like what Dave talked about, our martyrs getting set free in other countries and our people coming into contact with the gospel and this is where even Paul, as he's talking in chapter four, as he's doing his whole concluding things here, verse 12, word 12, Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following 
the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Okay, so now if God immediately says, Epaphras, I'm answering all your prayers. What's happened now? Now all these believers, now they're strong, they're perfect, they're confident, they're following the will of God in these three cities of Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. God's answering these prayers. And, and what are the prayers like in our own lives? And how often are the prayers that we pray selfish? I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray prayers for our family, for our loved ones. But even within that, like sometimes you wonder, you know, your kid comes up to you late at night. They're like, oh, I don't feel well. And so we pray for them. And then what's challenging me sometimes, like, am I praying for you because I love you and I want you to feel better? Or am I praying for you because I want you to go to bed so I can yeah. get back to sleep myself? <laughs> How often... Do we turn things into selfish prayers as well? And again, not that we shouldn't pray for things close to us, but I think having that bigger expanse, praying that God gives, all say, pray that God gives you more opportunities to speak is worth Like, I don't know that I've ever asked for a prayer for that. Saying, pray that God gives me more opportunities to speak God's word clearly. Certainly, these are prayers that I pray, but it's like that's first and foremost on his mind. Hey, pray for me that I can speak God's word with more clarity. Right. Let's make it a point to pray for our enemies. Yeah. Let's make it a point to pray for Voice of the Martyrs. That not just that organization, but the actual people that are right. going through those tribulations. Like let's step, let's put our wants and needs that we would normally pray for aside, and let's pray for everyone else. Let's pray for the Roman centurion, the Nagin, the whoever. Yeah, I'm lost. Any other final thoughts before we close up here? I just want to say the for me the end of Colossians or the the, the whole book I should say the end of our study. If if this is it, I don't know if we're going to stay on it, but. Paul, in four short chapters, shows the breadth of his knowledge, his ability to go from a common topic, such as praying, something simple, I should say, to something esoteric like Christology, which is what he delves into in here when he is trying to refute the mixing of religions, the mystical religions, the Judaism that people were trying to mix together and say, yeah, it's okay to do this. He goes into this dissertation on Christology, which is, for me, I need to do this a lot more on my own to study that because it is very deep, and yet talks about prayer. In between, he gives us ethical considerations, ethical exhortations on what to do. It's just a fantastic, in four chapters, it's just a fantastic little letter on a lot of different things from, as I said, the esoteric down to the plain. Yeah, exactly. In this that's how I would quote four chapters, but I mean, scratching the surface on prayer, scratching the surface on selflessness, forgiveness, compassion. Yeah. Talk about pointing towards the character of Christ in every scroll and every and every uh, book of the Bible, you know? You know, I, I think a good verse that wraps up where it says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. I think there's three points that he's making here. Huh. Devoting yourself to prayer, first point meaning that this becomes a priority in your life. Second point is with an alert mind. And how often do we allow our minds to wander or we're not particularly alert in prayer? As Jesus said in the garden, remember he said to his disciples, couldn't you watch and pray? Couldn't you be alert and pray with me for just an hour? Right, you know, right. right. I mean, and here you are with the Messiah for crying out loud. So being alert and having the thankful heart. The scripture says elsewhere, I enter his gate with thanksgiving and his course with praise. Our thankfulness attracts God's favor and blessing in our life. I think these three points, devoting ourselves to prayer, how, be alert when we're doing it, being aware, 
paying attention to what we're praying for, and then also doing it with a thankful heart. Okay, so Colossians, we spent a couple weeks here diving into these four chapters. Let's move on to 1 Thessalonians, and this is uh, five chapters, seven days. So, I mean, I would say we'll read it maybe six, six times, something like that, six, seven times, whatever it means. You can read it every day if you want, or read it six times. But, like, let's come back. Let's really dig into this first letter that he wrote to the Thessalonians, and we'll pick back up next week. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also consider sharing it on social media. We can't wait to be back together with you at the Thriving in the Word podcast.